I'll be honest with you, this particular series has, in its speaking form, when I'm out here in front of you, it has impacted me very deeply in my own heart as I share these things with you. Matter of fact, I believe that I have probably preached more passionately on these subjects than I have on any subjects in a really long time. The cross. What took place on the cross? Why did Jesus come and die for us? These are very important questions to ask, and I believe that they are very important questions to get an answer to. We've talked about the cross being a battlefield, that that Jesus came and died on the cross for us, fighting a battle on the cross that only he could fight, and winning a battle on the cross that only he could win. Death had captured the dominion of life that was given to man in the garden. God had given man rule over every living thing in the beginning. And God spoke to man and told man that you would rule over these things, that you would have dominion. But because of sin, because of the fall of man, that dominion was transferred and suddenly death had its grip on people in a way that they could not escape from. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, it says, God did say, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. These are very strong words, and and these words are very true, that, that in that moment that man ate of that tree, That was the forbidden fruit. The moment that man did this, something happened that transferred that dominion from man into the hands of death. And and we see that death had its grip like never before had ever been experienced because death had no dominion prior to that fall. Death. We understand the physical side of death. Today, I'm going to speak to you about the spiritual side of death. The physical side of death is what we see in the body, that that this has mortality, that this will die, this flesh. And we can understand that and wrap our brains around that. But, But another side of death, Scripturally is this idea of spiritual death. And what spiritual death truly is, is separation from God. Can I say this with all sincerity today? That if you are separated from God, you are not living, you are dying. That separation from God is a terrible thing. And and this fall that took place caused Jesus to step into that domain of death. And declare some things over us that we could not declare for ourselves. And Jesus accomplished some things for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves. On the cross, as I've already stated, he fought a battle for us to regain dominion. Last week we talked about he stepped into the marketplace of the cross. And he redeemed us from slavery. The Bible talks about the 
that we are slaves to the fear of death. But we are no longer slaves to the fear of death because Jesus Christ stepped into that spiritual marketplace and declared that we are all free. And so we have to live in that freedom. We have to walk in that freedom. We have to understand that freedom. That Jesus Christ did something for us on the cross that we could not do for ourselves. He set us free from the grip of death. And he set us free from the separation from God. Today I want to discuss the cross as a place of exile. The ultimate power of death was and is separation from God. And at the fall, man felt the weight of this separation from the very beginning. Look at Genesis 3, verse number 8. It says, Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, immediately in the fall, as dominion was transferred from man to death, we understand that man carried the weight of this sin and the condemnation that came to them because of this sin. And their first response was to hide from God. I mean, maybe I should pull up just for a second and just encourage you in this house today that, that because of what Christ did on the cross of exile, because Jesus Christ came and fought a battle for us and won a freedom for us and delivered us from exile, because he did that, we do not have to hide from God anymore. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen people who hide from God. Matter of fact, a lot of times they'll even say things like, you know what, I'll come to church when I get all of my mess straightened up. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't mean to be rude or ugly, but I'm just going to be factual right now. There ain't a person in this room got all their mess straightened up. I mean, seriously. Just climb off the ivory towers, come out of your little, little... holier than thou um, zone and get down here where the rubber really meets the road. There ain't anybody in this room perfect. All right, that's about 10 of you, but that'll be okay because the rest of you, you're just going to find out about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're like, well, now wait a minute, Pastor. You don't understand the level of my perfection. Maybe I should ask your wife or your husband. Or your best friend. Come on, somebody, help me out. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hard to deem yourself perfect when you live in the midst of an imperfect world with imperfect emotions. Okay, well, no, 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 I'm not trying to hurt your feelings here. Well, I mean, we used to sing a song, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Hallelujah. Praise God. I thank God for that. Amen. You know, when little kids say song, he's still working on me. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars and the fish and whatever else that song has to say about it. It's taken him a lifetime to work on me. Okay, now. Come on, somebody. And so, and so before we, before we um, misconstrue anything in this house... We don't get perfect and then come to God. We come to God and we pray to get a hold of some of His perfection. Hallelujah. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, if you're waiting to be 
perfect before you stop hiding from God. You're going to still be hiding from God forever. But this preacher wants to take that monkey off your back and let you know that Jesus Christ died for you and he came to bring you out of that place of exile. He came to deliver you from that separation. Man, we do not have to live in separation from God. Okay, okay, let me just, okay, okay, let me try to figure this out for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people say, <laughs> there's a church had a sign up that said, okay. There, there, there's, a, there, there's a church that I think they meant well, but um, they, they put a sign up that, okay. They put this sign up that says, you know what? There are no perfect people here. And at least they had the wherewithal and the understanding to recognize that a lot of people are turned away because they think, well, I'm, I'm not good enough to go to church. Like we, don't, we, don't, we don't get God because we are good. We have some measure of goodness because we get God. Okay, that's ten of you. I'm, I'm just going to keep preaching to those, Okay. There's a lot of people that, that stay separated from God because they think, man, pastor, do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what I said yesterday? Yeah, I was at that basketball game. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh. I figured something out about the row of triumph people. We are passionate about basketball. Help us, Lord. I had, to, I had to apologize to Pastor Knox over there from First Baptist in Mounds. I ran into him at quick. At, we stopped by coming on the way home. He said, man, I got you on videotape for a second there. I thought they were going to throw a technical against the preacher. Hallelujah. You understand what I'm saying? There ain't no perfect people. See, even my English is bad. And now I'll hear about that when I get home. But the reality of it is, is that that God knows exactly who he got when he called you. You know, nothing you've done or can do is going to surprise him. Now, that don't mean he's altogether happy, but he's still working on us, right? You know what, there's not been a time where the Lord scratched his head and said, oops, I didn't see that coming. Somebody ought to say hallelujah to that. Because there's some redemption that happens in our life. We recognize that Jesus Christ stepped into that place where we were hiding and he said, listen, you don't have to live in exile from God. You don't have to hide from God. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you're at. But he is still calling for you to come out and and talk to him about this circumstance. Praise God. And he is doing just that. He is working on us. You know, I mean, it's bothersome when people start thinking they're perfect. And when you cast that off, you know what I'm saying? Somebody, I I heard this from, from our 
food bank, somebody from the food bank, and, and you may be here, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but, but uh, you know, somebody visited our church last weekend from the food bank and, and made a comment that they, for the first time they didn't feel judged in a church. Well, that's a pretty big testament. You know what I'm saying about a church? Uh, I just, somebody else made this comment in my, my connect group was Tuesday night, and somebody in the connect group made this comment, for the first time, I feel loved. Come to church and actually feel loved. What a novelty. I mean, seriously. Come to a church and not feel judged. What anomaly is that? Well, in a lot of circles, it is an anomaly. In a lot of circles, it is something that could be very very hard to attest to because many, many times, people have a... okay. Boy, I am like meddling now. I need to get back to the notes. Many times the responses of people make people hide from God. We had a family visit our church several years ago. They were active members of our church for years following that visit, and they, they subsequently moved. And so, and so um, after several years of being here, they, they, they moved, and, and we, we missed them. I'll never forget when they first came to our church, they had a, you know, they didn't look Christian. You know, I mean, I don't know where you stopped counting, but obviously somewhere somebody stopped, you know, at, at, okay, well, one ring is fine, two is fine, three is fine, four is beginning to make us nervous. You know, they had earrings and rings. Rings and more rings and and, and tattoos everywhere, you know? And I remember I was preaching to our church. We were in transition at that time, and I was preaching that particular Sunday. I mean, I can't hardly see back too far. So if you're you're back there, especially you people right up here, you're just like lost to me. Hi, I know you're there. But... um, And then I preach, I start talking to our church about having a culture of acceptance. It's a part of our Growth Track 101 where we talk about having a culture of acceptance and a, just building a culture in the church that doesn't judge people for the way they look or the way they dress. You know, I mean, if you want to come to church in a suit, come to church in a suit. If you want to come in Bermuda shorts, come, come in shorts. You know, just come as you are, literally. Some people, you know, some churches advertise come as you are as long as you look like us. Are you all with me? Do you understand what I just said? You know, now, their website says, come as you are, and there should be a tagline right under it that says, accept, and then have all the stuff that you don't come like. You know? And so truly, come as you are, you know? So they said, man, Pastor, you dress like you dress so you could connect with the younger generation. I am 49 years old in a month and a half. It is too late for me to connect with the younger generation. I mean, are you, are you following me right there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, that. no matter how cool I dress, I still look like Grandpa. <laughs> so, I mean, let's just get real. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's just get real about that. I mean, we got young people in high school in this church that have grandparents younger than me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And so, no, I actually dress the way I dress because it's comfortable. Okay, I know a rousing response from that. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, you know? 
I mean, I have a little bit of 70s rocker in me, so it kind of leaks out ever so often. But you know what? It's just, I, I just, I just decided after wearing a suit six days a week for 15 years that I didn't like wearing suits. So there you have it. There's no great science to it whatsoever. But it truly is a come as you are. I mean, some churches advertise come as you are, but, but actually what they should, what they should, well, actually what they should advertise is come as we wish you are. It's not truly come as you are. And people hide from God because of this condemnation that can come from people. Come on now. This condemnation that could leak itself for people and they find themselves hiding from God. Let me tell you, that particular family visited our church. And the reason why they visited our church was that the pastor of their previous church the week before called them to the side and informed them that the deacons in the church were getting a little nervous about their continued participation in worship and was asking them to find another church because you're making our deacons a little nervous. I'm thinking it's time to find some new deacons. Just saying. I'm just saying. And so... They said, well, you know what? We keep passing that church out there on Highway 75 called Triumph. Let's just try them one Sunday. And then what do I do? I get up on the platform and I preach against judging people about the way they look. That family gathered around me after service and said, you don't know what this means to us. They were pushed into exile. But in our church, they heard a voice from heaven that said, come. See, Jesus Christ became an exile in order to deliver the exiles. That's a powerful statement. Look at John verse 1, chapter 1, rather, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I mean, here are these people that are heralding the idea of a Messiah that would come. But when the Messiah got there, he didn't look like they thought he would look. When their Messiah got there, he didn't act the way they thought he would act. He didn't do the things that they thought he would do. He didn't talk the way they thought he would talk. And because of that, they rejected him. And in that rejection, Jesus Christ began to put on the garment of an exile. Matter of fact, he made this statement at one point. He said, the birds have nests and the, and the foxes have holes to sleep in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't have a home. I'm wandering these hillsides among people who should be embracing me, and yet they are rejecting me. And I am a nomad in this land And Jesus Christ took on the garment of an exile. Matter of fact, even on the cross, it is so very well demonstrated in the sayings of Christ on the cross that at one point he lifted up his head and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why would you say this? Because Jesus Christ, on the cross that was a place of exile, found himself even separated in that moment from that presence that had been so real and so powerful. And in that moment, Jesus Christ cried out in this moment of feeling the weight of our separation. In that place of exile, Jesus Christ stood with the exiles and did what only Jesus could do. Matter of fact, look again even at the next verse. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus Christ on that cross became the greatest exile to ever live in order to stand among the exiles and say, if you will believe in me, you can come home. Ha. Matter of fact, we find in Genesis 3, 22 through 23, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken. See, this separation from God even caused God to stand in that moment and say, put an angel at the mouth of this garden and do not let this man or this woman enter back in because sin and death now have dominion over them. We must keep them from the tree of life. And we find that man was now wandering this world as an exile. I wish, I wish we could just go home. I wish, I wish I could just walk the paths that I used to walk when I could feel and sense and know the very presence of the God in whom created me. But no. God had to place in front of that garden an angel to keep man from going back in because dominion had been transferred to death and now this is all going to have to play out. And banished from that home place, man wandered this earth as a nomad until Jesus Christ was placed on another tree of life. That suddenly Jesus Christ did something that no one could do. That Jesus Christ on that cross planted the possibility of eternal life back right in the middle of the place of exile. That now John 3.16 rings out to us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. But what? Have what? That because of this cross and this place of exile, that Jesus Christ has brought the tree of life back into this place where we live. That through faith, you and I can go back to that place where eternal life is available. See, Jesus Christ did what only Jesus Christ could do, and that is redeem the exiles. 
for all of us who just, who just want to go home. I, as many of you know, was raised in Houston, Texas. They even write songs about us. They say, once a Texan, always a Texan. That's right, you ain't from Texas. But Texas wants you anyway. We are ingrained in this. I was, <laughs> I was raised in a neighborhood. The name of our neighborhood was East Tex Oaks. You just, you just ingrained everything Tex. East Tex Oaks. I was born into a house... The street name was Leaf Tex. Yep, you're getting the picture. We moved to Conroe, but about 30 miles away. We moved there for one year. For one year. I, I, I was, I, we lived on Leaf Tex from the time I was born to the time I was in the second grade. Then my dad was transferred for one year to Conroe. And then we moved back. And when we moved back to the Houston area, we moved back to East Tex Oaks. But now we rented a house at first. We rented a house I still remember the name of the landlord. This is as freaky as you can get. Toby Dove's house. I have no idea who Toby is or was, but we rented his house. The name of that street was one block over from Leaf Tex. The name of that street was Pine Tex. <laughs> now, you're getting, now you're feeling me. So we lived on East Tex Oaks in Texas on Leaf Tex, then on Pine Tex. Uh, we, we rented Toby Dove's house for a while. It was in Toby Dove's house that we had a Christmas one day, and I got my first bicycle, the one that I, first bicycle I ever personally owned. I had been riding my sister's hand-me-downs up to this point. That's what you get when you're at the bottom of five and you have no money. It was more embarrassing when I had to wear their clothes, but the bike was okay. <laughs> that, that was really a joke. It really was. I mean, <laughs> Oh, anyway, the um, purple Western Flyer. It was a purple Western Flyer bicycle. Some of you might remember Western Flyer stuff from back in the day. That was hardy stuff. We had crash-up derbies on those bicycles and couldn't destroy them. I don't know how. You know what? We would have crash-up derbies on those bikes and invite our moms to come watch. I don't know what in the world was going on in parents' heads back then. We didn't have car seats either, but that's a whole other story, right? It's like children were indestructible back then. What happened? I don't know what happened. It's like all of a sudden, like some politician comes along and suddenly children implode if you even touch them with a feather. But uh, that's another story. Let's, we're not going to get off on that. Um, we used to set up ramps. Evil Knievel was big in those days. Mm, Y'all feeling me now, aren't you? Evil Knievel, and and everybody wanted to be, we would dress up in like, we would, because he always dressed up in that white suit, you know what I'm saying? And so we would dress up in our Sunday suits, (laughs) I lie to you not, and put together jump ramp shows for our parents, and they would all come out there and watch. It was nutty. 
<laughs> like, how? Hey, yay, he got the bike five feet off the ground. Yay, in my suit. And mom's going, well, jump it again. Maybe that didn't happen in Oklahoma. That, that was what we do in Texas. This crazy stuff happens in Texas, right? So, so ever so often, I got all of y'all chattering now. I have lost the crowd. I get to, I get to, ever so often, we go to Houston. We go to Houston several times a year, and um, ever so often, I, I get the hankering. See, our pastor's church, our pastor's church is across the street from East Tex Oaks. Okay, all the property they bought is just across what used to be the old Beltway. That's just across, and, and so there's a real temptation when I go there to drive into the old neighborhood. East, East Texas is still there. Leaf Texas, the house is there. Pine Texas, the place where we jump these bikes and crash up derbies in the driveways and replaced our own spokes, you know. I mean, East Texas. Leland's Grocery Store be more like a convenience store today. It was a grocery store. Leland's grocery store was about an, an, a, a half a mile from our house. And I don't know what parents did back then, you know. Um, I mean, we'd get on the Purple Western Flyer and ride the bike a half mile to Leland's grocery store and be gone all day and mama never worry. Now you can't even let your kids play in the front yard about having a heart attack. Ever so often you wish you could go back. At some point you just feel like an exile from that. A nomad can't go. I've taken pictures recently. I went down to Houston, took, took pictures of the houses, the Leaf Tex house, the Pine Tex house. These places that are endeared in my memory from my childhood to course my way down these streets one more time and to feel the Cracks in the road. We didn't have sidewalks. Still don't in East Texas Oaks. Sometimes you just wish you could go home. And so man is. So man is. Just. Wandering in exile. God. Help the church fulfill Revelation, the end of Revelations. All this prophecy stuff at the end, and it all culminates itself. I believe in the 22nd chapter, it all culminates itself with these words. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And whosoever will, let him come. And he who is thirsty, let him come. And drink of the water of life freely. The Spirit being God, the bride being the church. What is our mission as a church? Our mission as a church is to stand with Christ. This place of exile, this cross. Where Jesus Christ became an exile in order to lead the exiles back home to God.
that Jesus Christ on the cross, this place of exile, he stared death right in the face and he said, Death, you cannot hold them separate from God any longer. We've moved the tree of life from a garden to a hilltop at Jerusalem. We've moved the tree of life from that place that stood behind an angel that would declare nobody is to come in. But suddenly Jesus Christ says the tree of life has been now transferred back to this hilltop. And the cry of Christ and the cry of the church is whosoever will, you can come home. Whosoever will, you can taste of this. You can can embrace this eternal life. Just come. Just come. You just have to come. And so, used to. Some of you might remember this. I'm not going to call any names. I called names in first church and it was deplorable of me to do so. Some of you don't remember this, most of you don't remember this, but we used to sing a song and it it went went, went something like this come home, come home, it's supper time I mean that used to be like a praise and worship song back like a long time, come home come home, it's supper time, and it's lost on a generation that don't know what it's like to be 19 yards over it lost on a generation that, that it wasn't like, when I was raised, I mean, when I was in the second grade, that, that one year we lived in Conroe, we lived in the real country. And, and me and me and my friend, Simon Stillens, he was in, we were second, talking second grade, okay? Flow with me. Second grade. I'd go over to Simon's house about 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? And Simon and I would traverse ourselves into the woods. Piney Woods of East Texas. We would traverse ourselves into the woods and we would be gone. I mean, we would forget to eat. You know what I'm saying? There were two things we liked to do especially. There was a field out there somewhere that was like an oil, had oil stuff on it. And so they cleared it. And these two second graders would wander ourselves through the woods until we would find this, this patch that wasn't trees and we would lay down on the ground and try our best to get the buzzards to circle us I'm telling the truth I'm telling the truth we would lay there sometimes for an hour until them buzzards would start moving and we're like you think they're gonna think we're dead yet I don't know we're in the second grade out there trying to be buzzard food. My mom don't have a clue. She's at home like whatever. What is she doing? Her second grader is out there trying to attract buzzards. We also enjoyed, if we weren't in the creek, believe it or not, I'm talking about creek, Crystal Creek. Look it up. It runs itself out of Conroe, Texas and connects itself with the San Jacinto River. We would stand in the Crystal Creek. Just, oh man, it's hot, you know. Got to cool off. Then we'd go try to be buzzard bait again. You know? And then listen to this. This is, this is cool. We would, um, we would push over rotten trees. Think about that for a second. Second graders, we'd put our hands on their feet. We loved finding rotten trees and pushing them over. We push trees over everywhere. That's nuts. That's almost as crazy as being raised up in Gary McCall's house. 
Now I'm just thinking for a second. No, 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 I'm just, I'm, I just had a thought to myself. I just had a thought to myself. Gary and Mandy are about to get about to get married, and and the two youngest boys they come walking in this church, and they look at me like this, and they go, "Hey, Pastor Rob, you know where we can find some snakes?" I'm like, well, I don't know. They said, well, we're starting us a snake business. We need to find some snakes. How old were they when that happened? Man, they weren't like seven years old or something, I think. You remember that? That was crazy. I'm like, just go out there and turn some rocks over. I'm sure there's one out there. I don't know what to tell them. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know what? We're pushing over dead trees. Now, here's the deal. This is what would happen at supper time. What would happen at supper time is you'd hear the call. I mean, they don't very, you'd be just about to Leland's store and you could hear my mama's whoop. You know what I'm saying? Like when she made, when she made that sound, however she did it, when she made that sound, that meant get your rear to this house. And that was the call from my mom saying, come home. Supper's on the table. Daddy's home from work. It's time to gather the children together. It's time to sit down as a family, and it's time to eat a meal. And boy, I'd come in dirty. Man, we've been out snake hunting. You know what I'm saying? We've been out there trying to be buzzard bait. We've been out there in creeks, crawling in creeks and sand. And we've been out there pushing over dead trees and laying on the ground in oil-filled places. We've been out there, been all day, but you'd come in all scragged up, pants ripped, hair a mess, dirt everywhere, and you'd sit down because you heard the call from mama that said, come home. Come home. There's a place at the table for you even though you're messed up. Come home. There's a place at the table for you even though you're dirty right now, but you're still a child. See, he gave us the power to be the children of God. You need to come home. There's a place at the table. And what the Spirit and the bride are supposed to be doing is making the call together. See, the church is supposed to be saying, Hey, I know you've been out there trying to be buzzard bait, but there's a meal for you at Daddy's house. Come home. I know you've been out there pushing over dead trees, but there's a meal for you at Daddy's house. You need to come home. And there's this call going forth for all of us who have lived in exile. Matter of fact, look at Ephesians 3, 11 through 12. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Look at Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin because Jesus Christ became an exile. Verse 16 is true in our lives. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what? I hear that old song ringing, come home, come home, it's supper time. Come home, it's supper time. You don't have to stay in exile any longer. But pastor, you don't know where I've been. Oh, I know it's probably been buzzard bait day, but come home. Because Jesus Christ became an exile. He moved the tree of life from a garden where you could not access it to a hilltop where the entire world can approach. And he is calling out to us today. Come home. 
Don't stay in exile. Don't hide from God. Come home. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to go home. Do you feel it? Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? There are people in this house that what I have said has touched your heart.